continuing in our series in Exodus, we come this morning to Exodus chapter 35, and our complementary passage will be Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So with your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4, in honor of God's word, please stand. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, hear God's word. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As far as the reading of God's word, please turn to Exodus chapter 35, beginning in verse 30 and continuing in the reading of God's word. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, see the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we come to this portion of your word, we pray that you would open our eyes to the glory, to the mercy, the grace, and the joy that is here in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Because I spent a lot of time in East Africa, one of my favorite, there's actually a couple of favorite books uh, on East Africa. One is The Blue Nile, and the other, or actually the first book is The White Nile, and the second is The Blue Nile. 
And in the Blue Nile, it tells the story of the British Field Marshal Charles Gordon, who ended his life uh, in, in Khartoum fighting against the Mahdi. Uh, Gordon lost his life and is buried at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And on his inscription at St. Paul's, these are the words. Sacred to the memory of Charles George Gordon, who at all times and everywhere gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to the suffering, his heart to God. Isn't that a beautiful epitaph? Wouldn't that be something you would like written about you Isn't that something that you and I would love to know? Is that if people are going to summarize your life and my life, it would be in words like that. At all times and everywhere. Gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to the suffering, his heart to God. So we look at this passage very briefly this morning. I want to look at it in two ways. The first is grace, and the second is gifts. Grace and gifts. Now the setting of this passage, you'll remember, is this outcome of the catastrophe of the golden calf. Moses has disappeared. He's been gone over a month. He's up on Mount Sinai, and the children of Israel have no idea whether he's ever coming back or not. And so they tell Aaron, make us a golden calf. Give us something. We need some God. And of course, you know the outcome of the golden calf. It's idolatry, the Ten Commandments, the two tablets are broken. Uh, the, The idol is melted into slag, and everybody has to drink it. And then God sends a plague, or first God tells the Levites to slaughter uh, what probably were the ringleaders. 3,000 died. And then God sends a plague. And then God turns to Moses and says, listen, I don't. these are not even my people. Moses, these are your people. I will make a great nation out of you. These people I'm done with. I cannot go in their midst. Uh, if, if I were to go anywhere near them, I would consume them in my holiness. And Moses intercedes for the people before God. And God says, I will remember my promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will keep these as my people. And the response is this overflowing gratitude. This overflowing generosity. If you'll notice, it really picks up There in verse 3, they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. And of course it builds to the point that they say, stop bringing stuff. What is your response to grace? Do you see their response? Do you see how they have seen God's wrath, God's holiness, 
And now in response to God's grace to them, they are overflowing with gratitude. The response of the child of God to the grace of God is what shows whether or not you understand grace. If you understand grace, if you understand what God has done for you, if you understand what you deserve apart from God, if you truly are living, and this is why the Puritans get such a bad rap, because this was really at the heart of what the Puritans were about. How should a man condemned, rightly condemned to die, How should that man respond when he not only is pardoned, but he's adopted? He's made a son. What is the response of a child of God, man, woman, boy, or girl, to be overwhelmed gratitude? This is what your understanding of God's grace to you, produces. Now Paul makes a big point out of this in Romans, where he says there's people who are offended by this idea. Offended by this idea of grace because it leads to licentiousness. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? Isn't that exactly what Paul says? (laughs) Shall we sin that grace may abound? Because God forgives. God's gracious. Cool. (laughs) You don't get it. You do not have a hot clue what grace is. If that is your response. And you can almost hear that in Paul's language. (laughs) God forbid! (laughs) How shall you who are dead to sin live any longer therein it? (laughs) You don't get it, is Paul's point in Romans. But beloved, here in this passage, some people get it. Now, now we're, we're all about dinging the Israelites. Golden calf and wandering and they're, they're going to blow it. Dozens of more times, and and they are a people that are living under shadows, and they're stumbling, and they're falling, and they're getting back up. But let's just camp right here for a minute. Let's just be right here in this passage. Bezalel and Aholiab. How many times have those names been read? probably mispronounced (laughs) over the last millennia. (laughs) How many times have those two names been read by all of the people who were in God's Word over thousands of years? How are they remembered? How will you be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Beloved, if 
you and I are here with the children of Israel, understanding how much you deserve judgment and how much God gives you, how much God has given to you, then surely your response is not going to be, cool, let me do some more sinning. It's going to be here (laughs) saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you in response to His grace. The grace of God that is showered upon the children of Israel. His wrath passing them by. Him saying, you will still be my people. I have set my love upon you, not because you were mighty among the nations, but because I remembered my promise to the fathers. That's why I set my love upon you. The response has got to be one of love, gratitude, and joy. I was asked earlier this year, to give some thoughts to young church planters, to give some words of advice to young church planters. How does a congregation grow? (laughs) You can imagine, trust me, as a pastor, there are hundreds of emails and whatnot that I get on a weekly basis about how to grow your church. Here's the strategy. Do this. Do that. Do these other things. This is all the strategy. And I said, you know, I I don't know that I've ever done anything. I don't know that I've ever done a thing to grow the church. I've seen God grow it. But if I was going to put my finger on one thing that I think makes a church attractive, that I think makes a Christian attractive, that I think makes people come to a church, look around and say, yeah, they sing psalms, that's weird, but I want to stay. If I could put my finger on one thing, I think it would be the joy and the love that people see in the congregation. That's what makes a church attractive. I'm not the best preacher you're ever going to hear. I am not the most insightful theologian. We do not have 18 different programs to meet every single one of your solitary needs. I'm just a basic guy doing my best to study God's Word and to preach Christ Jesus from it. But what grows a congregation, a healthy congregation, the kind of congregation that I want to be involved with, the congregation that you want to be a part of, what grows a congregation is that joy, is that thanksgiving, is that love the sense that these people really are happy about something. And I know it's not the music. (laughs) Because the music is just a piano. And the words are weird. They were written in 820 AD. (laughs) Or they were written before Christ. What grows a congregation is that sense of joy. That sense of love. That sense of what God has done for you. Beloved, do you see that here in this passage? Do you see how Bezalel 
and Aholiab and all of the people that God places them with, but also it's the congregation itself that are supporting the work so much that they have to come to Moses and say, please tell them to stop bringing stuff. I can't deal with all this stuff that they're bringing. I can't build the tabernacle anymore because I'm loaded up with more stuff. Please tell them to stop. Do you see that response? Do you see that joy? Do you see how it is that one who truly understands mercy and grace, one who truly understands forgiveness and peace, when it sinks into the heart, produces this. The second thing I want to look at briefly here are these gifts. God calls Bezalel and Aholiab and everyone in whose mind the Lord has put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. The reason I read that Ephesians passage, we'll look back at it just very quickly again. When you think of the church, when you think of the structures of the church, do you think of pastors and elders and presbyteries and sessions and general assemblies and subcommittees on ministerial care and and all of the things? Do you think of the structures? Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who is it in Exodus 35 and 36 that's engaged in ministry here? It's all the people. Who is it that God has given these structures of apostles and prophets and teach? And, and Paul will go on to say, so that we're not tossed about round by every uh, cunning doctrine, uh, deceitful schemes, uh, carried around by the wind, all of those things. Yes, there are structures. These structures are important. These structures are not the church. There's a book uh, that I have used and, and think very highly of. It's called The Trellis and the Vine. And basically the summary of this entire book is that the offices, the structure of the church are like a trellis. If you've got a trellis and you've got the vine growing on the trellis, then it's not going to be unruly. It's going to grow all in the same direction. It's going to, you know, you've got grape arbor or whatever. You, you've got it, you've got it all growing up and it all looks beautiful, right? Everybody knows what a trellis is. Everybody knows what a vine is. How many of you have ever come along and seen a vine growing on a trellis and said, oh, what a beautiful trellis? The trellis is not the thing. (laughs) Nobody cares about the trellis, unless the vine's dead. Nobody cares about the trellis. Everybody looks at the vine, the beautiful flowers, the bougainvillea, the whatever, the grapes. That is the work of the church. That is what you do as saints of God. That is how we, that all that language that Paul used in Colossians of speaking to one another, speaking the truth to one another in love. 
the language he uses in Ephesians about growing up together into the full stature. Beloved, of all the things that you and I can do to be effective in reaching a dark and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, of all the things that you and I can do to be effective at outreach, the single most powerful thing that you can do is to let people see the joy that you have for God, the joy that you have in your home, the love that you have for God, the love that is in your home, the joy that is in your fellowship with your fellow believers, the love that is in your home. Jesus Christ said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And those gifts that these craftsmen bring, those gifts that each one of us bring, are gifts that are returned to God from a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of love. I mentioned earlier Charles Gordon. What's written on his epitaph? Death has touched each one of us this year. People close to us have died. And each one of those has been uniquely challenging, uniquely painful, uniquely difficult. But in each one of those deaths that I have been a part of, that I have been engaged with, in each one of those, I saw people living in light of their tombstone. People living consistently, living their trajectory with what was written at the end. This one, that one, was born in Zion. And death is ugly. I hate it. Jesus Christ came to conquer death. He came to crush that serpent's head. But beloved The one thing that you and I all have in common, different ages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different everything. (laughs) The one thing that you you and I both have in common is we were both born, we were made in the image of God, and we're both going to die. Barring the second coming of Jesus Christ in our lifetime, if he comes in our lifetime, praise God. But if he does not, That common thing applies to all. You're born and you're going to die. What is it you want written on your tombstone? What is it that is your epitaph? And I think if we can have that in mind, if we can have that focus, then we step back and say, now how do I live like that? How do I live? I would love to have on my epitaph, Here, sacred to the memory of Philip Proctor, who at all times and everywhere gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to suffering, and his heart to God. I would love that. 
set, that means I got to do something tomorrow. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Beloved, this trajectory, children of Israel are going to blow it. You and I are going to blow it. Sterling Presbyterian is going to blow it. We're going to disappoint. We're going to fall. The children of Israel, but here is a moment in their history when Bezalel and Aholiab shine. And two people whose names we don't know are ringing down through the history as people who did all for the glory of God. Motivated by gratitude. Motivated by gratitude. Gratitude for God's deliverance. Gratitude for what God has done in their lives. This appreciation of God's grace will lead to a joyful heart. And it will lead to joyful service. Beloved, that's what we see in this passage. That's what my prayer is, that each of us this year will be better, will continue in our journey, will continue in the direction of growing in grace and knowledge and strength in the Lord.